You're listening to the Writers Forum. We're sponsored by the law firm of Alker and Rather LLC. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with award-winning author Aaron Hamburg about his new novel, Hotel Cuba. Aaron is the author of two previous novels and has written articles for several magazines and newspapers, including the Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I note that in the book, Hotel Cuba, you dedicate it to your grandparents, but also to all immigrants. Do I understand correctly that you lobbied Congress on behalf of immigrant rights at some point? I did, although very uh, sort of impromptu and informally, uh, but very consequentially, as it turned out. So uh, I joined a group of writers who decided that we wanted to make our voices heard in early 2017. And uh, we divided up and uh, met with various members of the Senate. And um, I volunteered to speak with Senator Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, which is where I grew up. And I brought a picture of my grandmother with me, and I told the senator my story. And it was kind of funny because there were all these professional lobbyists kind of in line to meet with her in their beautiful suits and their printed folders. And then there was me, the sort of dopey writer with this picture of his grandmother. (laughs) Uh, But there I was, and I told her the story, and I said, you know, she was an immigrant, and I want you to advocate for the rights of today's immigrants in her honor. And she said, oh, I agree with you. Oh, okay. And I thought, boy, that was the easiest lobbying job I ever heard. Uh-huh. Well, and uh, I said, well, what can I do to support you in that effort? And she said, you're a writer. Tell your grandmother's story. Ah, okay. Well, that kind yeah. of leads me to the next question that I had. And that was to ask you that the book and the topic covered are personal to you for, for a reason that relates to your grandmother, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, it was very much inspired by her true story. Uh, We have about seven hours of interviews with my uh, grandparents, who are both immigrants, both came from the same village in Russia. Uh, They were not together uh, in that village. They reunited and met again, became a couple here in the United States. Hmm. Um, And so she was able to um, provide details uh, about her journey. But they were with lots of gaps in between, and it was it was very much about sort of giving you the uh, outlines of the narrative. But as a novelist, of course, I want to fill in, you know, gee, you came from a small village in the middle of Russia and the snow and the poverty and the cold and the grayness to Havana, Cuba. What did you think of the food? What did you think of the music? <laughs> what did you think of the language? I right, want to know right. all of that, that kind of sensual experience of being there. Yeah. Well, I'm curious because you said that your grandparents met here. My grandparents on both sides are from Sicily, but both had arranged marriages. And why does something that happens in the book, um, what, was your grandparents' marriage arranged or did they just happen to meet when they were here? So not at all. Uh, what happened was that my grandmother's sister was a girlfriend, boyfriend with my grandfather's brother. My grandfather... My grandfather and his brother made it into the United States, and eventually, in the true story, my uh, grandmother and her sister made it into the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, her sister, you know, went to Detroit, which is where her boyfriend was for to get married to him. Right. And my grandmother followed for the wedding. And at the wedding, she and uh, my 
who the man who became my grandfather, you know, saw each other and something clicked. And then as my grandmother told it, uh, you know, her relatives were saying to her, an old maid is a terrible thing. <laughs> you should just get married to this man. And so uh, it ended up being two brothers and two sisters ended up getting married. Aaron, this is really kind of remarkable. My, I, my grandmother and her sister married two brothers as well. I didn't realize that was part of, part of the story. Well, let's talk yes. about the book a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to reference back your grandmother at the same time. How much of the book is biographical related to your grandmother who immigrates from Russia to Cuba and the main character in your book, Pearl, who does so with her sister Frida and immigrates from Poland to Cuba? Mm -hmm. Well, Poland-Russia was like the border kept changing all the time. One day you would wake up, you're in Poland. The next day you wake up in Russia and and back and forth. Uh, You know, this was the time World War I, followed by the sort of chaos around the Russian Revolution and then the eventual uh, emergence of the Soviet Union. And then there was a war with Poland Mm -hmm. and Poland um, took over a large area of Russian territory and they got really far deep in there. Um, So when the border changed, that was what allowed my grandmother to get out of that area and come to the United States. Um, So the story of Hotel Cuba is very much inspired by the true events of my grandmother's life. Uh, particularly in the broadest outlines. Mm-hmm. But I did take fictional liberties at certain individual points in the story in order to tell a juicier story and to incorporate the wonderful research uh, that I, I found. I mean, just these amazing uh, true stories of, you know, life in Cuba and, and just little details of, of you know, other people who were in similar situations to my grandmother and how they reacted to the situation there. Well, and, and you mentioned the research, and I was going to ask you about that. You actually traveled to Cuba, correct, to do some of your research? Correct, yes. And what, and, did, what did you learn but, that surprised you when, you when you went? The thing that struck me the most when I was in Havana was sort of the quality of the light and the air and huh, the, okay. the, um, the lushness of it and the colors and also the sort of omnipresent heat I guess mm-hmm, uh, the, mm-hmm. just the and the, the, um, the what what it felt like to be on this tropical island, and also um, the European architecture, you know, that, that sort of colonial traditional architecture is so you feel like you're in a European city, except there's palm trees and bougainvillea, and and of course this intense tropical heat and that kind of mix of you know architecture that might have been familiar to someone like my grandmother and like the character of Pearl in the book. And then, of course, this setting that is completely unfamiliar, I thought was really striking. Well, and, you know, from reading the book, the stuff that is in there that's historical is really what makes this historical fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, found that, I found that part, being someone who enjoys history, I found some of that really interesting. Now, the book starts, in, if my memory's right, in 1922 with Pearl who is Jewish and 27 years old, fleeing Poland with her sister, Frida. We talked a little bit about this, but what research did you have to do about this time period shortly after World War I, uh, which ends in November of 1918, if my memory's right, and the Bolshevik Revolution, which is still kind of going on with the Reds fighting the Whites? What kind of research did you have to do about that? Well, first of all, a ton of reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, again, through these recorded interviews we had with my grandparents, 
there was a treasure trove of information there. Um, and then in addition to that, a lot of the Jewish shtetls or villages in that area, they were destroyed in World War II when the Nazis came through and yeah. just leveled everything. Mm-hmm. So, and, and killed, yeah. I mean, so many people, including my grandparents' relatives who did not make it to America. All of them were killed, yeah. every single one. But these villages, people who um, had lived in them, created what are called yizker, or memory books. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these books are now online, and oh, they wow. are collections okay. of yeah. uh, you know, interviews, memories, transcripts, all kinds of details of what life was like, and uh, how the people on the ground experience history. It's one thing to live history, you know, read about history in a textbook. Yeah. But how did the people who were alive at the time experience it and understand it? That's a whole different thing. And I think that's what historical fiction can provide that a textbook really can't. Yeah. Well, let's move away, if, if you don't mind, for a moment from your grandmother. And let's talk about Pearl here. When, sure. when someone immigrates to another country, they, and I, you make a reference to this in the book more than once, they lose part of their history. They lose really part of their identity. How does Pearl deal with that? That's a fabulous question. And one of the sort of underlying storylines of this book mm-hmm. is how Pearl finds a new identity yeah. through her experiences in Cuba. You know, the name of the book, Hotel Cuba, is based on a slang term that the immigrants um, used to call Cuba because for them, Cuba was just a way station. And Pearl says this herself. This is just a temporary stop on the way to the United States. The United States is the gold, is uh, the goal. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that that time in Cuba can't help but leave a mark, can't help but shape somebody's personality. And for Pearl, that's very much the case. Her time in Cuba allows her both to confront some of the dark, terrible secrets of her past, and also to move through them and find a new identity for herself so that when she ultimately is able to get to America, the people who knew her from before say to her, you've changed, you've become a different person, you've become a stronger person, you've become even a more stylish, uh, together person. Uh, And it's that journey of self-transformation that I think is, is as much part of the journey as the physical journey that Pearl takes. You know, it's interesting you raise that because one of my questions here was Pearl, and and you do a masterful job of this, Pearl does seem to change while she's in Cuba and changes Mm -hmm. even some things she believes. As a writer, though, how do you accomplish that without make, by making the changes seem genuine and not forced? Yeah, that's, you know, that's all part of the challenge and the art of of, crafting a story. And one of the things that I think was an interesting way to convey that sense of change was through Pearl's relationship to clothes. Yeah. You know, Pearl is a masterful seamstress mm-hmm. who then has aspirations to uh, become a clothing designer. And her sense of design becomes affected by her time in Cuba as she's seeing all the bright colors of the Cuban landscape and affected by the music and, and even the uh, the 
brightness of people's faces, you know, the, the makeup that they wear and, and the, the brightness with which they carry themselves. And so that translates into the way that she designs clothes once she gets to New York and she starts working in the uh, fashion industry. Um, and interestingly, she finds herself a little bit out of step with the fashions of the period. Um, I had to do a lot of research about, you know, uh-huh. how fashion uh-huh. you know, worked in the 1920s. And the color palettes in the early 1920s were very muted. So you'd be thinking about pistachio greens and dusty pinks and mustard yellows. And Pearl has this due sort of fondness for bright colors. And she wants to design clothing that's that's in that sort of brighter color palette. And her boss is telling her, no, no, we can't sell that. That's kind of out. But Pearl sticks to her guns and she kind of mixes the brightness with some of the more subdued um, colors yeah, of, that, yeah. that are in fashion. Yeah. Um, so that, that was one way to convey that sense of well, you know, There's real substance to Pearl. I mean, I really liked her as a character. And one of the things that struck me that made the changing more believable is, is that she doesn't give into it very easily. I mean, <laughs> there's a little bit of back and forth, back and forth. And I just thought it worked really well. Well, let me ask you this question. Okay. Because a lot of folks may not know this, and frankly, I didn't realize it. Can you explain why Pearl and her sister Frida go to Cuba instead of going directly to the United States where they really wanted to go? Sure. So in 1921, there was a what I call a, a hysteria in the United States, and I think in some other places as well, after the uh, Russian Revolution and the communist takeover of that country. And they were afraid that... Uh, communist infiltrators might come from Russia into the United States and do the same thing in America. And so Mm -hmm. there was this impetus to keep them out. So in 1921, there were new immigration laws that severely curtailed immigration from Eastern Europe and Russia, where, oh, by the way, a good, you know, 80 percent of those immigrants were Jewish. So it was kind of like a Jewish ban on immigration. So because of these severe quotas, the steamship companies were losing all this money they'd been making from ferrying immigrants over to the United States. So they started marketing Cuba, Mexico, and Argentina as alternative destinations, saying, look how close they are to the United States. And there was a loophole in the law, because if you were an immigrant from Eastern Europe, you're subject to the quotas. But if you could establish residency in Cuba, now you're an immigrant from Cuba. You're not subject to the same quotas. Right. So the idea was go to Cuba, establish residency, live there for a year, and then come into the United States as a Cuban immigrant. Um, that loophole eventually did get closed uh, in 1924. And so um, there were a large number of Jews who were trying to do this. They ended up kind of getting stuck in Cuba, and they made a community there uh, that was there until Castro came. And then they uh, you know, went to Florida you know, they, as refugees, and they called themselves the Jubins. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I didn't realize that. All right. So we've been talking about Pearl. She obviously has a sister, Frida, and there's a real difference between the two. Am I reading too much into the differences if I suggest that Frida seems to represent America while Pearl represents their homeland? I never thought of that before. You know, what I had in my mind, I was actually very inspired by the novel Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Yeah. Mm -hmm where you have these two sisters, you know, one who's more sort of sensible and rational and logical, and the other one who's more given into flights of emotion. Mm-hmm. And I imagine Frida as someone who was much younger than Pearl, who grew up without a mother uh, because her mother died in childbirth, and really Pearl was like a mother to right. her. 
that she's the baby of the family and she she gets a little more indulged and so she has these kind of um flights of of fancy that uh, she gives into um so to me that was the difference between the two of them um yeah i have to think about that one if if one represents america and one represents the old world because i do think that pearl uh accommodates herself to the new world increasingly as the book goes on and she even says to her you know her father says he doesn't like uh frida's boyfriend and he says to pearl make sure she doesn't marry that guy and by the end of the book pearl says to her father via letter I don't think it's right to make those kinds of promises, and it's particularly not in this new land where people have free will and people are are free to make their own decisions about their own lives. Yeah, I don't, and I wasn't trying to suggest Pearl loses her identity, but she just mm-hmm. does strike me more as being rooted in the homeland, uh, in mm. in her homeland, than Frida. And so, anyway, just a thought that I had uh, when I read it. Now, no, that's great. That's uh, great. God is an ever-present concept for Pearl. But it seems to me, at least as I read it, and I think you, you referenced this through some dialogue in that, God is really kind of an absent force, it's a, a real force in her life, not really one. In your research, or in talking to your grandmother to bring her back in, did you find that that was common among immigrants, that they, they believed, but they just kind of felt like they had been abandoned? Mm, mm. So one of the things that I was interested in was researching the education of uh, girls and women in um, the shtetl, right, uh, and how it differed from that of boys. And women were not really um, encouraged to learn very much. You know, they there, there was actually like one mm-hmm. book that they were sort of taught to read, which was like a book of sort of uh, you know legends and uh, folklore inspired by the Bible, not even the Bible itself. Um, you know, they really just had to learn how to write their name and a few, uh, some basic arithmetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but learning wasn't that kind of deep learning of uh, theology uh, was not encouraged. Conversely, for boys, it was. They went to a school which was called Cheder, and they they had sort of this deep training in this kind of in thoughts about religion and and God. So I imagine Pearl, who has to deal with this incredible. Uh, upheaval in her life, the the, the uh, horrors and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. traumas of war and revolution, and trying <laughs> to figure out, God, how can you let this happen? And she isn't equipped with uh, the kind of education that might give her a few leads in terms of like where to go and, and how to deal with these thoughts and how to process them. And so she's trying to work this out on her own. Uh, so and interestingly, you know, of course, this is several years later during the Holocaust. That was one of the responses of the Holocaust, where a lot of, you know, Jewish people were like, how how could God yeah, yeah. let this happen? How can we reconcile this with traditional um, theology? But, you know, yeah, go um, ahead. So, mm-hmm. I was interviewing my uh, my cousin, who is the uh, son of the character that inspired Frida, uh-huh. and he said to me something really fascinating. He said, if the Holocaust hadn't happened, we would think of that time period like a Holocaust. He said, the the uh, killing, mm-hmm. the death, the destruction, the anti-Semitic violence, it was awful. It was so awful. Uh, and, you know, we just, it, you know, that speaks to both the scale and the tragedy of the Holocaust. You know, that, wow, even, you know, look how terrible that was. It could dwarf the terrible suffering that happened during that period. So I think that that would have caused a great crisis of faith for a lot of people. Yeah, the, you know, the idea of a, for lack of a better way to put it, a distant God seemed to me to be very emblematic of the immigrant experience. 
across the board. And that's why it was so believable and so universal uh, that you're, you know, you've been pushed through this vortex. And why is this happening? Anyway, yeah. okay. So <clears throat> Pearl is a dressmaker, as you indicated, and an excellent one. And I'm going to throw another metaphor at you or another question at you. <laughs> I was really struck by the fact that when she finally gets her chance to go to America, she makes a dress to go, but the dress ends up starting to fall apart, right? Is is that the dream of America versus the reality of America? Oh, you're talking about the one uh during her initial attempt to get to America yeah, yeah, yeah. via Key West. Yeah, you know, so that's a moment in the book where she's sort of uh, midway through her transformation. She's trying uh-huh. on a different self, and ah, she still okay. thinks to to be American, you have to be this sort of uh, flirtatious, young, flapper-like thing, and that's not who Pearl is. Right. Uh, and so as that dress kind of falls apart, her disguise is, is slipping, as it were, and, ah, okay. and she sort of realizes that's that's not the real me, and I can't pretend to be someone I'm not. That's that's a much better uh, explanation for it. All right, you manage to work in a drag queen and a trans man into the story, both well-defined characters, and with apology to Ron DeSantis. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if during these polarizing times, you worry about what you write and if, if any topics are off limits. I really don't. And good, what good. was fascinating to me was um, when I was doing the research into the period, uh-huh. I was surprised how often um, gay characters and you know characters which today we might call trans kept mm-hmm. coming up. Okay. And I wasn't looking for them. I was really looking for my you know my grandmother's story. Um, in fact, I read about this uh, gay man who was very well known in Old Town Havana in the 1890s who had the meanest left hook in town (laughs) and you didn't dare insult him or Uh, he would punch you out. Okay. All right. So, um, so these characters were, were very much inspired by, you know, actual, these kinds of people who, who were around and don't forget, you know, Havana, this was during the era of prohibition. Americans were coming there to get drunk and get wild. And so there was all kinds of different activity going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you're from New Orleans. You could probably imagine. <laughs> well, you know, look, it works well. They're well-defined characters, and I, I enjoyed reading it. All right, so let me ask you this. I, I'm often told this by writers, that if they create a good character, the character helps write the story. Now, I know that you were using your grandmother as an example, but was that true for you with the character of Pearl? 100%. Her voice just permeated the whole writing process. It was almost like if I just trusted her voice, I knew that I would be making the right move narratively. And, Mm -hmm. you know, thankfully, I had these, as I say, these recordings of my uh, grandparents who were very, very old when, um, you know, they were in their 80s and 90s. And I was a young child, you know, we were um, around together. So I didn't know them as fully as, as adults, but I could get to know them through these interviews. And I listened to them again and again, not necessarily to get the content of what they were talking about, but to get their vernacular, to mm-hmm. get their mm-hmm. turn of phrase, and to understand what was important to them that I might not have guessed would be important to them. I right. mean, one of the things that, that I, I love from the recordings is my grandfather talks about how my grandmother was trying to teach her sister to cook. And she, he said, and can you believe 
her sister, she confused a potato and horseradish root. <laughs> oh, my God. And she's telling the story 50 years later. And he still, <laughs> and he still recalls still it. Yeah, about yeah, that. yeah, okay. All right, well, and, you know, the character write, helping to write the book, I still remember, actually, the first interview I did of a writer here a couple, many years ago, and he said... And I'm curious if you've had this experience. He said, uh, in explaining it, he said, yeah, sometimes my characters will say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he has <laughs> to change it. Have you, do, you, do you have this interaction or this dialogue with your characters? Uh, for me, it's not so much uh, a dialogue as it is. I feel almost like I'm stepping into their skin like an actor trying to portray the character. And mm. so I'm really kind of like, moving through the scene as if I'm wearing their, you know, costume, let's say. Right. Okay, they're here. How would they get from here to there? How would they see it? Uh, So I'm really trying to look at it through their eyes. Well, you know, that raises another issue that I'm going to make make this my last question. I think we're about to run out of time. As a writer, and let's use Pearl or Frida, if you want, as your example, um, and you put yourself into that role, and then you have to confront the issues that they are confronting and resolve them. What do you learn about yourself? And in this case, because it was so tied to your grandmother's experience, what did, what did you learn about yourself in writing Hotel Cuba? You know, I love that question because I identified so strongly with the character of Pearl. Mm-hmm. You know, we're both creative people, and we both express ourselves through our creativity, you know, she through her making of clothes and I through the making of stories, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in her, you know, sort of working materials are, you know, cloth and uh, scissors and thread and mine are words and sentences and paragraphs. And, uh, you know, throughout the book, you may notice there are little references to, to books and to stories and, yeah. you know, um, and, that's sort of like a little bit of a link between me and my grandmother. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, if her personality in real life was identical to mine, uh, to mine, but I really, um, I felt a strong kinship with her Uh and um, I took a lot of um, courage from her. A friend of mine who's another writer was telling me, you know, she said, Oh, I love the book. I love the book. And I love Pearl. And I keep telling myself, what would Pearl do? What would Pearl do? <laughs> yeah, you might have and, a bumper. You, know, you might have a bumper sticker made. <laughs> there you go. She had an inner strength. Yes. To get get through everything that she did, and uh, and and that's very inspiring. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, Aaron, that's all the time we have for today, folks. You've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I've been speaking with author Aaron Hamburger about his excellent new book. Hotel Cuba, which I encourage you to pick up. Aaron, is there a website or other social media that folks can go to to learn more about you and about the book? Absolutely. You can go to AaronHamburger.com, and also I'm there on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, so come find me in those places as well. All right. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. This edition of the Writers Forum has been brought to you by the law firm of Alker and Rather LLC. Tune in next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m. or Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m. to hear the next segment of the show. Oh.